Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and as always, we'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and their writing process. Today's guest is a familiar one, a writer for Raptors HQ, a voice of TSN 1150 and the CEBL, and the host of Locked on Raptors. It's Sean Woodley. How are you doing, man? I am doing great, Josh. Thanks for having me on again. Thanks for coming on, man. It feels like it's been forever since we talked, even though it hasn't been that long because I saw you uh, at the Raptors parade afterwards, I guess. Um, <laughs> yep, ha- did. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting day, uh, as well as Katie Heindel, which was so cool. How are you doing, man? How was your championship summer? It was pretty great, dude. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I took pretty much the entire month of August off. I went uh, to Nova Scotia for like two and a half weeks. I got engaged, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I, yeah it was it was a great week, great great summer, and I didn't write like at all. It was like a nice relaxing getaway from uh, the insane rush of the postseason and going to the finals. And then I was just like, yeah, three months. That seems like a good time to take a little hiatus. And uh, now I feel refreshed, ready to get back into it. Yeah, well, it was a well-deserved break for sure. So I'm glad you had a good time, and congrats again on the engagement. That's awesome. Thanks, dude. Um, yeah, so I, I have you on here today to talk about uh, We the Champs, which is a book you wrote. I, it's good, you know, that I think that you took a break from writing because you must have been just like completely <laughs> gassed by the time you were done. Um, yeah. I, I can't believe you like came back to do some of the revamped uh, Raptors rankings because I would just be, I'd be so exhausted. I'd be waiting until the beginning of the season after writing a book because, I mean, I have done it before and let me tell you, I haven't done it since, so that should tell you something. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's an extremely, extremely difficult thing to do. Um, it's called We the Champs, and you wrote it with Alex Wong, who is uh, an unbelievable writer as well. You can find this book pretty much everywhere, right? Like, I got mine out at Indigo, but I know you guys had it uh, go out pretty much all over the place. Yeah, it's uh, you can order it off Triumph Books. That's sort of our publisher. Indigo is a good place to get it locally in Canada. There's been like some weird sort of like random small bookstores people have taken pictures of, uh, like copies being in there. That's pretty cool. Um, I tell people not to buy it off of Amazon because Amazon is evil. Uh, but if you want to buy Amazon <laughs> to ship to the UK or something, I guess that's the only way to do it. But uh, yeah, no, it, it is pretty much everywhere. You can still get it and there's still lots of copies around and I feel like – it's probably a pretty good Christmas gift. I don't know. Maybe I'm like shamelessly plugging people to buy it. But uh, <laughs> if Christmas is coming up and you want to, you know, just share with somebody a memento of all of the joy and glorious feelings that happened during the finals run, that's, I guess, one of one option, I suppose, is We the Champs. Yeah. Um, and it's a great option to talk about, I think, at this point, too, because this is why I wanted to bring you on to talk about this now. I think it's a perfect way to kind of look back at the season that was before we officially start with this new one. Obviously, media day and stuff has happened, but we're not even at the first Raptors preseason game yet. So I think it's kind of a good way to bookend last season. Does that pun work? Mm -hmm. Kind of? Kind of works. Um, Sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) This is good. I I come back. I'm on a little highest from the pod. I'm already making bad puns. We're off to a great start. Um, So obviously, we don't have time to talk about everything you wrote in depth and um you obviously co-wrote this with alex so like it's not like you wrote the entire book so i i didn't have to be as selective so i we get to talk about more of the stuff you wrote which is cool um but i'm going to focus on the main takeaways from the particular parts that you wrote and you can obviously uh, pop in with anything you want to add if i miss certain things but i basically want to see what stood out to you about certain games and stuff 
Um, so that's kind of the route I'm planning on taking here, although I do have to mention right off the top, Alex, I don't know if you had uh, anything to do with it at all, but Alex got Jack Armstrong to uh, do the forward, essentially. And I just I just have to point out, like, could there have been anyone more perfect for, you know, the Raptors the Raptors win a title and Jack Armstrong is the guy that you get to do the, uh, the intro for the book? Yeah, Jack is the very best. Obviously, he's just, like, the voice everyone associates with the team. I know Matt Devlin's the play-by-play guy, but... For some reason, Jack kind of stands out as like the main voice of the Raptors, I think, over the last you know, 15, 20 years. And Jack's always been super kind to me. Like when I was in school, I would you know, write little stupid assignments and need uh, an interview subject. And because I had like an internship one year at a Bell Media property, I had everyone's emails who worked at Bell Media just like on my email. <laughs> so I was able to like reach out to Jack. And he was always, always so courteous and like very generous with his time. And remembered you as well. And like I did like a stupid podcast with some friends in the last year of school as we tried to like figure out how to talk into microphones. And Jack came on that and it was super gracious. He came on it on St. Patrick's Day, which is like his favorite day of the year. And he took time to talk to us idiots, which was great. Uh, and he was just he's he's he'll remember you the second he like associates you. Right. And that's the nice thing about Jack. And he was super gracious. I can't remember if it was uh, Alex or myself who asked him. But he was both the first person that like that we came up with is who we wanted to try to get to write the forward it wasn't even a question um and you know as soon as we said it, the words to him he was all in which was awesome he was super gracious after the the book published he was all about uh getting copies so we could give it to his family and stuff it was pretty cool and uh i look forward to seeing him uh for the first time since the book came out once we start covering games again because jack armstrong is like, as nice and wonderful as he seems on TV, he's, like, ten times that nice and wonderful in person. I have heard so many similar things from different people about Jack Armstrong. I've never met him myself. I actually was on a podcast with him once years ago when I was in high school and <laughs> was terrified of saying anything. He's, yeah, everyone talks about him being the nicest guy ever. So that's that's great that uh, you guys got him for the foreword. So the book kicks off, it gets right into it. So I don't know if you guys had any say in the format of the book or if the, if the publishing company kind of told you what they wanted, but it kicks off right with the finals. Um, and I, I think it makes sense because that's what everybody's going to be most interested in in a book about the Raptors championship season will be how they actually won that championship in the final series. And you wrote the uh, sort of um, summarization of three of the games and Alex wrote the others, which for you were game one, game two, and game five, yes. um, which were super interesting. So I start with game one and just sort of the, I guess, so for this, this, so here's what I remember because I did go back and watch some of the uh, Raptors playoff run. I didn't rewatch everything like some people did. I, I haven't I necessarily had the time to do that, even though I would like to, but not, so like not only did the Raptors make it to the finals, but they had home court advantage and it's still mm-hmm. kind of strange to think about that <laughs> the first finals game in Raptors history was played in Toronto. <laughs> and, like, the first thing you talk about in that sort of summarization is bringing up the franchise's past leading to this moment and how surreal it is amongst a postseason full of surreal moments. And at the same time, it feeling like an impossible task. I, I mean, the general feeling seemed to be everybody saying just, like, you know, it's the Warriors, okay, you know, we made it here, this is this is great. Um, that was sort of the fan, the fan reaction, but like, did you even make a serious prediction? Like how, how were you feeling about, um, the Raptors chances going in there, the home court, all of that stuff? 
I think I kind of refused to make a prediction because we knew we were working on the book and I was like scared to jinx anything because if a little behind the scenes, had they not won the title, there was no book. Um, they were mm. thinking about maybe possibly doing like a season celebration book at some point that would come out maybe a month later. But after they went up 3-1 to get ahead a little bit, we figured if they blew a 3-1 lead, there was no that no way that was going to happen. So I was trying to avoid any sort of like bad juju or anything and just sort of just like, yeah, the series is happening. That's very nice. I hope <laughs> they win the games, but I'm not going to make any predictions because there's too much on the line here. Um, and so, yeah, that, like that was sort of my mindset going into it. It did really feel, though, like it was going to be a pretty tall order because – you know, obviously in hindsight, it's kind of ridiculous to think about Kevin Durant sort of being the hammer that hung over the entire series, but he really was, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if you went, like, there was, you know, was he going to be back for game two? Is he going to play game three? It felt like game four at the very latest was when he was going to play, and obviously didn't come till game five, and we know what happened, but it just felt like there was a ticking time bomb hanging over the series that if the Raptors blew any of the first couple games, they just stood no chance because, of course, once KD came back, there was just no way the Raptors, as talented and good as they were, were going to be able to hang with you know the greatest team ever assembled. So it felt like almost a must-win in Game 1. I remember going into it thinking, like, if they lose this, like, they can afford to bring back KD later with, like, fewer games to win. Like, this seems very bad if they lose – and obviously they came out and were amazing. And, you know, Pascal had that ridiculous 14 of 17 game yeah. and scored 32 points. And it was just a really triumphant game for the for the Raptors. And I just I, – it was a game that did not follow the script I expected. They were kind of in control the entire time. Mm-hmm. And if you think of, like, Raptors history, whenever do you feel comfortable with the Raptors? And it was kind of <laughs> odd that – Really the most comfortable I'd felt about a Raptors game the entire postseason came in game one of the finals against the Warriors. Like that was very bizarre, but they just kind of had that aura about them in game one. Like, no, we're not losing this. We also know that Kevin Durant's hanging around somewhere ready to get into the game. And I I was personally like very, very relieved more than even excited when they won game one because it meant it was going to be a series. And then it kind of after game one, I think Alex and I like swapped a DM and was like, hey, uh, maybe this will get published because I don't <laughs> think we really earnestly thought it would. And so that's when the excitement really kicked in about the book, too. Yeah, I, I think the number one thing I remember and now has sort of burned into my memory from that game with just rereading your book again uh, is Siakam in that game in particular. Out of every game, there seems to be at least one thing. Some games have multiple things, but game one, other than just the home court, all this these feelings uh, you had that were shared, you know, about uh, maybe this will actually be a series, and, you know, just the relief that the Raptors aren't going to get swept or something like that. Um, but Siakam standing out, running rampant on Draymond Green, you know, the self-proclaimed best defensive player ever, and maybe actually is. And you're scoring 32, like you said, but he did it on 82% shooting, which that number, I, I, I had to look, I looked down at the page and blinked a couple of times, looked away and looked back and it was still 82. That's crazy. I mean, he, he made 11 straight baskets between the second and fourth quarters. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, he was so that good. Sequence, his third quarter in that game was just so bonkers, man. Like. I know Kawhi had some like crazy fourth quarters and crazy individual sort of explosions, but I don't know if I've ever seen – and maybe Kyle's first quarter of game six is up there too, but 
that Siakam sequence in Game 3 where he just, like, took the game over and was just so much faster and more athletic and just dominant than anyone on the Warriors I think was even prepared for. Like, to punk Draymond Green like that after having been guarded by Jonathan Isaac and Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid for the first three rounds, like, it was so... It it looked like Siakam really just sort of stepped into it and was like, oh, I have room to breathe now. It's not a (laughs) seven-foot monster who's defending me. This is great. And he really cashed in. And, you know, it was kind of up and down efficiency-wise for Siakam throughout the postseason, but it was... Just so nice to see, you know, I guess even more so now with, you know, the knowledge that Leonard's not around anymore, mm. that Siakam could sort of be that kind of dynamic number one option. And it was like, it was really cool for him to have that moment in that situation as well, right? Like with just all of the stakes, everything that was in that game, everyone looking at Toronto in a way that never had before. And for Siakam to do that, it was, uh, it was pretty damn cool, man. Yeah, in his first season, you know, in his first real postseason as an actual as an actual piece, you know, that was super important to the team. That's still kind of wild to me. Um, the leap he took last year is uh, just really unprecedented. The more I think about it, um, so game two that was the next one that you'd written about, and the Warriors obviously won that game. They punched back to make the season or the series even and make people sweat and. Draymond, of course, comes out talking about not letting Sackham do what he did in game one, and he didn't. Sackham didn't play very well in that game. Draymond did step up. The Warriors changed their uh, defense a little bit. Um, Lowry gets into foul trouble. Van Vliet goes off, scores 17 points, um, has a great series overall. It's, it's really choppy. I'd forgotten about how choppy it was that you, you mentioned in terms of officiating. It was a really yeah. like uh, stop-and-start kind of game. And then... The thing that sticks out to me, the Raptors. This is this is even more than something I'll bring up in a second. But the Raptors' offense stalling and uh, the Dubs just dropping eighteen unanswered points because yeah. that never really happened again in the series. But were you concerned it would? Because the Raptors' offense stalling was, you know, a concern kind of all season long. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it couldn't have been a concern when you saw it, considering how many times we've seen the Warriors just like have those third quarters where they completely destroy a team and just crush all hope of a victory for the opponent uh, within like five or six minutes. And to see it done to you in a finals game was uh, certainly humbling and a little terrifying to think about if like that's what they could just do on a whim, then damn. And, and, you know, I don't know if the Raptors offense was like terrible in that stretch. If I recall, it seemed like they got some pretty good looks and they just didn't fall. Mm -hmm. Um, but like you know, the Warriors are going to make take advantage of that if you were going to miss those looks like that. And honestly, this game to me, I remember more because of the weird ending and like the box and one stuff, and like the the Raptors kind of having a weird chance at the end. Um, if I'm not mistaken, like they came back from down like ten in the last couple minutes to give it like it was like a one possession or two possession game late, which was kind of unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all because of the box and one and. That, that's sort of the thing that stands out to me from that one as opposed to the Warriors just like completely taking the game away in the third quarter because, you know, the Raptors ended up having a lot of stretches just like that going the other way, right? Like sort mm-hmm. of taste of the own medicine type stuff. There was, you know, I think game four really stands out to me where, you know, Abaka had that crazy third quarter and they just like destroyed them in the second half. And that was very much like what the Warriors had done to the Raptors. And, 
it was that that made it seem a little bit sort of less terrifying. But when the first time you see it happen to you, I don't know how anyone wasn't just like quaking in their boots, like, oh yeah, though the Warriors figured it out, and Durant's coming back soon, and this is going to be all over and terrible. Um, I'm not sure how you felt, but I certainly felt less good about the book publishing when that game went down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely didn't feel great about it. Um, obviously, like you mentioned near the end of that game, it was close, and that was the Igadala triple game. Yes. Um, to clinch it, and the game where it looked like Kawhi should have had a steal uh, on the on the pass, um, and it, it's weird because you rewatch that, and it really does look like he was there. Like it looks like he knew he could get it, but his body just didn't quite um, react on time or something, mm-hmm. and it just missed. And you know, uh, Livingston got it to wide open Igadala, who nailed the triple. Um, and I mean, you know, not the worst option out of all the shooters on the team to have him taking the shot. But Iguodala has been known to step up in big moments too. And um, yeah. yeah, not that he had a super uh, fantastic series, but uh, that was a big moment for him. And probably the best finals moment for Sean Livingston too, by the way, that assist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, not a great uh, series for him and he's older now, but that, Hey, that assist was pretty big. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I read Livingston's name. And I was like, I bet you that's the only time he's mentioned in this whole book. Yeah, so if anything, like it's like you're saying, that that kind of game indicated that the series could be long, it could be short. Um, it was, yeah, uh, definitely concerning from a Raptors fan perspective. Um, but a good, a good game nonetheless and a lot of interesting things in there. And so then we move to game five, which was the next one that you wrote about. And this game is the, like, this is the game other than game six that I'm never going to forget in terms of just like pretty much the entirety of it. Yeah. Um, there's nothing th- th- because of what happened so early on. It still makes me feel queasy. I don't know about you. The whole thing, I didn't. I didn't feel very good. Uh, as soon as KD came out, as soon as I heard that KD was coming out, I got concerned. And for me, anyway, it was more the fact that this guy who is dealing with an injury is coming back. It was less about the Warriors and the Raptors, even though I, that was part of it. But just this guy coming back from this injury probably too soon, and we don't 100% know why or whose decision it was. And then Steve Kerr's decision, it seems to be mostly, to play KD for twelve the first 12 minutes, which I also thought was kind of insane. And, you know, he had his looming presence over the series, like you mentioned, and then this eventual collapse early in the second quarter. Um, so it, yeah, that's... You know, that's the moment that kind of sticks out for me there and, and it kind of just permeated the rest of the game and I felt kind of kind of weird about it. So what like what's your immediate thought on game five? I mean, there's just so much from that game because, I mean, the thing that's kind of forgotten about that game is that the first 13 minutes or so were incredible. And it was yeah. like, all right, like, yes, the Warriors look terrifying with Kevin Durant but I don't know the Raptors look pretty damn good too and these were just like two incredible teams just punching each other in the mouth Mm. and it was close it was back and forth the Warriors were leading but not by much and it really felt just like a fantastic wonderful basketball game and then the KD thing happened after it really felt like it was rushed for him to come back and then there was the whole sort of range of emotions between Serge stealing the ball from him and going down the other way and then the fans cheering, whether it was cheering for surge or cheering for the injury, I still don't really know. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people were certainly cheering for the injury. I think most people were not, but uh, maybe I shouldn't be giving the benefit of the doubt considering how bad the world is. But, you know, it, it felt like 
it was at, at the very worst, like a 50, 50 mix. I know there are people in the bar I was at. Um, yes, I was at a bar taking notes like diligently so I could write in the car on the way home. <laughs> Don't worry. I was, I wasn't driving. I was, I was the, the passenger, but, um, I was like prepared to write this one, like a little bit tipsy. Cause I was like, I can't not be out while the, they clinch the title. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the energy of it, right? Everyone kind of just thought, all right, they're going to go win this thing. And then KD gets announced and it becomes a little less sure. But even then, the confidence was still pretty high. Yeah. And then after the KD thing, it all just kind of felt sad for a quarter and a half, two quarters almost, where it was just like, yeah, this basketball game's happening. This is stupid. This is not very championship worthy. This doesn't feel right. And I don't think anyone really felt great about what was going on. And then people forget what happened in the fourth quarter where Kawhi had like maybe the most incredible stretch I've ever seen from yeah. a single player. Like yeah. not just in a Raptors uniform, but like ever. He was yeah. it felt there for a second like he was going to just take the title and make it his own. And he hit like four or five straight shots, like a three and a steal. Like he was just everything in that stretch. And it really felt like the entire arena was ready for it. It felt like the Raptors were ready for it. It felt like, you know, it was all leading to this one crowning moment where Kawhi took the the entire thing in his hand. And then Nick Nurse called a timeout. (laughs) That was weird. And Mm -hmm. no one really knew why. And I guess it's like the explanation that he wanted to like give the guys a break made some sense. But the Warriors, their explanation for what happened afterwards was, yeah, no, that really refreshed us. We felt Mm -hmm. great after that timeout. They score like nine straight points or whatever it was. Like the the clay, the the clay three and the Steph three. Then it comes down to the Kyle shot in the corner. And I know everyone got all on Kyle because he hit the side of the backboard. You know, Draymond Crick. Draymond tipped it, but, mm. you know, people love to shit on Kyle Lowry. And so there was that whole thing, too. And just I can't really remember a finals game with more intrigue, whether it's good or bad intrigue. There was intrigue for sure and just, like, emotional swings. And ultimately the thing I thought coming away from that game was I'm really glad the Raptors didn't win in that game because yeah. it just felt so weird. And I just kept envisioning, like, the Raptors celebrating while Bob Myers is crying, like – with the KD press conference and everything Mm -hmm. like how that would have happened at the same time. I'm not sure that would have felt good at all and probably would have felt a little gross. And so ultimately I'm really glad with the way it all went down and the Raptors winning in six. I still think they probably would have won in seven anyway, especially after clay went down. But, um, you know, and and to say like, Oh, like, yes, I'm glad they didn't win there. They'll just win the next game feels kind of arrogant perhaps. And like probably playing with fire a little bit because, considering it's the Warriors, but I was just really glad that the title wasn't handed out that night because it just did not feel super championship worthy. It just felt, you know, it was its own kind of special game and it's going to be one of the most memorable finals games in history, I think, because of all the weird stuff that happened. But I'm glad that game also didn't have like a trophy presentation at the end because it would have felt a little bit unfit there. Yeah, I 100% agree. agree. Um, It would have definitely felt bizarre. I thought... The, sort of the basketball gods kind of just were like, no, Toronto's not winning this game in a weird <laughs> way. Because, I mean, just all everything happening and then leading up to a potential Kyle Lowry game winner for an NBA title, if he had hit that shot, mm. I, I, I feel so, uh, I would feel so strange about it because, you know, as someone who has followed the Raptors and uh, wants to wish Kyle Lowry well and uh, is very happy that he's now an NBA champion and all that, it still would have seemed almost, uh, there would have been a sour taste to him doing that, which would be the most awful thing because what what an amazing thing in a vacuum, Kyle Lowry hitting a game-winning shot to win an NBA title. 
Um, yeah. That would be incredible. But I do feel like in hindsight, like had that happened to in that game, maybe all of the bad feelings kind of go away just because of like the insane amount of joy that would have emanated from that. Yeah. I'm not totally sure, but I'm glad we never found out because there was a chance that, yeah, you're totally right, that it would have just felt a little bit dour and a little bit just like, eh, are we sure we're happy this happened? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is really the way we wanted it, really? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, again, weird beggars being choosers type of thing. Yeah. But I, again, ultimately pretty glad with the way it turned out. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, that's definitely, I think, the weirdest game of the finals. And uh, maybe the weirdest game of the whole postseason. I don't know. So then there are these two other sections that aren't uh, about games exactly. You you wrote about um, Kawhi winning finals MVP and then a section on sort of the Raptors' like hit points through the regular season to how they got yes. to, to the uh, to playoffs. So yeah. on the Kawhi finals MVP, I have, I have a question for you, and you can sure. say it's blasphemous if you want, because it might be. I don't know. Just over the course of the NBA finals – was Kawhi Leonard the best player on the Raptors? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Like, I think he okay. was pretty clearly. Like, his defense, his gravity as, like, a person, what he did in that game five, what he did in game four and three as well. I know game three was kind of a throwaway game, but, like, yeah. He had a couple not-so-great shooting lines, and ultimately, I know we'll get to the last game, I guess, of the finals, but, like, I'm glad that he didn't like have to carry them all the way in the final game. Like I'm glad everyone else who'd kind of been through all the crap the years before were the kind of ones that really stepped up between Lowry, Siakam, Fred and Ibaka. Like those were the main guys in that game. I think Kawhi like 19 and you know, all of those 19 were very earned. And the reason it was so easy for the other guys was because of Kawhi. Um, Yeah. So I don't think he was like, LeBron level amazing or mm-hmm. anything like that in the in the series, but he was like so essential to everything they did. He had a couple great flourishes, and if it was not for him, they just they don't have any juice, right? And no one has the space. Fred VanVleet's not knocking down that many wide open threes if you know Kawhi doesn't sort of draw all the, the attention his way. Um, so yeah, I totally think it was right. Although uh, funny story about how it all sort of came together is like. Uh, that was the last thing I had to write for the book. Hmm. And it had to be by 3 a.m. that the night they won the title. And I pre-wrote a thing about Kawhi winning the finals MVP because, again, I assumed I was going to uh, have many alcohols at the bar <laughs> while watching game six, which I did. And so as the game is going on, I'm like, all right, great. I just got to pl- plug in some stats and I'll be great. And this is going to work out fine. I can get home at like 2 a.m. probably, finish off writing, send it off, and the book's done. Awesome. And so as Fred starts knocking down every three in the fourth quarter, I'm like, "Uh oh, are they gonna do some like Iguodala shit here and like go with uh, Fred wins just because of like a couple great games?" And I was pretty freaking out. Like I was worried I was gonna have to like write an entire thing while completely just like to the wind <laughs> and after like celebratory champagne and everything too. And thankfully, only one person voted for him. Thankfully, Kawhi won it, and I just plugged in the stats I needed to do. Um, but that was a bit of a hairy moment the night it got published, for sure. I really would like to read the intoxicated Woodley piece <laughs> on Fred Van Vliet becoming Finals MVP, because, like, even if just no one ever had it, I would I would just frame that on my wall, I think. Oh, my goodness. Honestly, the fun thing about that night, 
or fun, weird, I don't know, is that like I didn't really feel I mean, I probably drank. We had to get to the bar at like, I don't know, six o'clock for a nine o'clock game in order to like reserve a table because, you know, the, the tables are filling up so fast. We like bought cards at the shoppers drug mart, across, drug mart across the street from the bar because we had to like kill the time while we reserved this table. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're drinking this entire time. So it was like six hours in the bar. So, of course, I was like, I, like many, many in, but <laughs> because of the adrenaline of it all, I just like I didn't even really feel that buzzed. And I, I like I probably could have written something pretty coherent just because like it was just so adrenaline filled all night long. And then you get home and you're just like, oh, my God, they won the title. And I'm watching all the stuff on TV and it's just like, oh, my God, they won the title. This is unbelievable. And like just didn't feel it. I just fell on cloud nine more than anything. Um, and then I ordered Uber Eats and hugged my Uber Eats driver who was wearing a Raptors jersey at 4 a.m. That was great. Uh, <laughs> very, very good night. Um, but yeah, no, it was – I think I would have been able to manage it. I like I, – I agree. I wish there was like a version of it out there where I started to like pre-write in the fourth quarter or something just to see how it looked. Yeah. A hundred percent. That would have been uh, oh, a classic, I think. Of uh, there's, a, there's a ton of stuff that people write that never gets published, and I, I always wonder kind of what happens to that kind of stuff. And I bet some of it is is fantastic. That would have been in that category. Uh, Did for you sure. think I make too many jokes about uh, people's uh, genitalia and poop? Uh, <laughs> guess what? You would have been in for something with the uh, <laughs> on the fly Fred VanVleet Finals MVP post. <laughs> <laughs> I would put it uh, right on the uh, right on the book next to Dickens and and all of those guys. It'd be uh, <laughs> just amazing. Um, yeah. So okay. So the, then the other section you have again, like I said, was about the the regular season, and yeah. um, there's a couple hit points there. But so the one I want to kind of focus on on all the stuff because there's you know you have about um, the Kawhi trade, which is uh, everyone's talked to death about and is the best trade in franchise history. Um, there's the, the up and downs of the regular season in terms of all the injuries, the, the chemistry, the off the off the court stuff with some of the guys um, having to deal with some family stuff and Nick Nurse being the new coach and and all that. Um, the fact that they played really well, anyways. The deadline deal for Mark Gasol, um, which I remember talking to you about, and you were higher about it uh, than I was, and you were right. A lot of people were higher <laughs> on it than me. Um, and then the DeRozan return, which is the one I want to talk about because I feel like people kind of have forgotten that game and over the course of the season. And uh, yeah. it was a big moment because it was like a microcosm of why the Kawhi deal was worth it in a single game. And I, like a lot of people here still love DeRozan. I, I really like DeRozan. I think he's a classy player. I love all the stuff he did off the court as much as he did on it. A big part of the Raptors becoming what they are as a franchise. And, and yet he has a ceiling as a player and you bring up the one play near the end of that game where both Lowry and Kawhi kind of converged on him to steal the ball. Uh, Kawhi stole it and, and dunked and the Raps ended up winning. And it's just really, you know, a reminder that, that that trade was the right one and sort of the pivot point of where the Raptors were to where they ended up being and sort of how that kind of all culminated in an NBA title. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like the symbolism was almost too on the nose there. <laughs> like it, like Kyle and Kawhi both converging for that steal. It just felt like, really? You're going to make it this clear, uh, basketball gods? But okay, sure. It makes it easy to write, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it was, <laughs> I mean, it was a little sad watching it to, to see DeMar in that moment, right? Like it was just sort of 
as much as it was proof that Kawhi was a better player, it was also proof that DeMar was an inferior player and that it just it sort of laid out all the reasons why the teams of the past had failed, even if it wasn't like the sort of same way in which DeMar fell short in the past. It was very, very just symbolic of everything that had gone on in years prior and how Kyle, you know, was never really at fault for that kind of stuff either. And he was always there to make those winning plays and make those correct plays uh, in a way that DeMar just never really could in addition to all of his offensive shortcomings. Right. And so, yeah, it was, that was a tough one. It was a very like poetic season. Now that I think about it though, the way it all sort of played out as I wrote that piece, uh, just sort of breaking down the regular season, it really did feel like all the puzzle pieces of the season fit really nicely together there was all the sort of symmetry with like Jonas going down um, against the Warriors, <laughs> like ironically enough, mm-hmm. and then that sort of downturn in the in the play of the team that happened in between Jonas getting hurt and then the, the trade deadline, and then sort of that illuminating that maybe Serge Ibaka wasn't long to be the starting center, and also hey maybe they needed to go get something else. There was the sort of the the fracture between the two sides of the offense as Kawhi and Kyle sort of missed games back and forth in January and it was like yeah like it's very clear that these two teams play differently when these guys are in charge and they need to bring something together and they need something to bring it together and like Marcus Gasol just happened to be that guy the, the big guy who sets screens and does good passes like it seemed like a perfect sort of way to tie everything together and the fact that it he was traded for the day Jonas was supposed to come back, and like we never got to see Jonas again after that injury against the Warriors, which was a little, little bit sad, but again, kind of poetic in a weird way. It was uh, a very, very just like easy to think about and contextualize season. I think when you think about how everything happened and all of the pieces that took place, it was just like a well-written script, right? It was like, no fat, everything made sense, this thing led to this thing, and this thing led to And look, now a full story has been completed, um, and it just, I don't know, it, it was just a very easy to retell regular season because of how everything just sort of made sense. Yeah, for sure. I agree with all that stuff. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's funny, like, I don't know if anyone at this point regrets it. I don't know. There, I think there are still some people that do maybe, but um, I mean, the Raptors won a title, so I don't know what to say about it at this point. But uh, yeah, all the all the DeRozan stuff, you know, he's going to be, uh, he'll probably have his jersey retired, right? Do you think? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, as he should. So, okay. So the other series that you wrote about for, in this book uh, were two of the... Um, more interesting ones in the Sixers and the Bucks. Yes. And I'm gonna. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna. We'll do. We'll talk about the Sixers first, and yep. I'm gonna give you a couple choices, and then you pick which game we're gonna talk about. Okay. Um, sure. We'll do it that way. So either Game Four, which I like to call the Forgotten Kawhi Shot Game, uh-huh. or Game Seven, which is the Four Bounce Game, which. Everyone has talked about a lot, but like I also can never get enough of talking about. So, yeah, um, one of those two. Oh man, you're making me pick between my babies. Uh, <laughs> Both I extremely mean, well written, by the way. Thank you. Well, I mean, we could talk game four um, because that is sort of the forgotten one, right? It's it is that game was pretty wild, and for a while it seemed like 
the Raptors season was kind of teetering, right? Like they were not particularly good in that game. They, you know, I think the Sixers had a lot of good open looks they missed in that game. I think Tobias Harris, if I recall, that was like his two of 13 game or maybe I'm wrong, but I think that was his bad game from the field. Um, and like, they really didn't seem to have any juice offensively and it was pretty much all Kawhi. So maybe it's not surprising that it came down to that three over Embiid, but mm-hmm. um, like that is, I mean, there was there were high stress moments, obviously, in this postseason, <laughs> as we'll get to yeah. Game Seven. Obviously, a bunch of the stuff against the Bucks, like very very high stress. But I don't know if I ever felt as sort of despondent as I did after they lost Game Two, which was or sorry Game Three, which was so demoralizing. You had the Pascal injury. You're going into Game Four, mm-hmm. not sure if Pascal's going to play. Pascal is like barely mobile on the floor. And it wasn't just like, oh, man, he can't play in this game. It was, oh, man, how is he going to play in the rest of the playoffs? Like, yeah. There's still so much time left to go here. And it really felt like super Raptors-y the way it was all going. Like that game three against the Sixers was the most Raptors-y game. Like it was so much like a Cavs game mm-hmm. from those really dark and depressing blowouts that it just it brought back a lot of pretty rough feelings. And so game four, I kind of just expected to go the same way. I kind of thought it would go similar to – you know, like game one or two against the Cavs where in 2018 where, you know, the Raptors were in it. They were very clearly the better team, but they just couldn't get over the hump for whatever reason. And all of a sudden they were going to be down 3-1 and without much hope really because just, you know, Pascal's hurt and they're just not looking good. You know, Marcus Gasol can't take a three to save his life and Serge Baca, Danny Green or Fred Van Vliet haven't hit a shot in like three weeks. Like mm-hmm. it was – it was troublesome, man. And for Kawhi to hit that three, it really sort of hit refresh, right? And yes, there were some struggles to come still, but it really did feel like, all right, no, like that's why you got this guy first of all. And now it's two two, and now you go back home, and they like completely blitzed the Sixers in Game Five, if I recall. And it just it kind of reestablished belief that the season wasn't going to spiral out of control in the way it had in years past. Yeah, for a team that. I think became synonymous with resiliency as a word. If you had to pick one for that team, this was the series where you kind of worried about that. And of course it was only the second round. So at this point you're kind of still early in the playoff on the playoff journey. And they just routed the magic because they were better than the magic and nobody really thought the magic were going to win that series. So this was the first one that was really tough. And there were games where it just looked like Kawhi was the only guy who wasn't kind of shaken and, was the guy who was like, okay, if you guys aren't going to come with me, I'm going to have to do it myself. Mm -hmm. And that was really the only time in the playoffs. I I really think that series was fantastic for the Raptors, a bunch of the guys that are still here in Toronto, because it it was, I think, the most intense series, and Danny Green has said repeatedly how difficult that series was, and it was the toughest one during the course of the playoffs, just because of how huge the Sixers were and how good they were defensively. So yeah, I think that was the series where it really did feel like there was Raptors, Raptors stuff of old, Raptors-y, as you say. And, was, yeah, there was just a bunch of weird things. Um, like, Nurse playing Gasol and Ibaka together was, was something yeah. um, to combat the size of the Sixers. That was kind of neat at the time because um, it was one of those things where we weren't sure if he was actually going to do that. And he'd been playing around with matching Gasol's minutes to Embiid during the series and all that. And you, you talk about as well the fourth quarter, just like even before the Kawhi shot, it was so back and forth, just exchanging blows over and over, and Kawhi just repeatedly switching onto Embiid and trying to score because uh, he was like the only guy that could do it. 
It was the only play they had. It yeah. was nuts. I was going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just getting him into space and like hoping he can do it. And it's like our best play is switching, you know, our best player onto a, a fantastic defensive player, <laughs> maybe the best defensive <laughs> player in the NBA. Um, that, that's in you know, in theory, not a great strategy, but it ended up working out. And there's you know, the score is ninety one ninety for Toronto. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there's one second on the shot clock. Kawhi steps back, shoots over a seven-footer's outstretched arm and nails it. And at the time, that was, you know, only a, a couple games later, that moment would almost be kind of buried in, in the Game 7 bounce shot. But, like, that was the moment at the time. That was the greatest shot in Raptors franchise history. And, I, I mean, it still ranks right up there, right? Like, it's it, even among yeah. Kawhi moments, it's still got to be right up there. Oh, it's so important, man. Like it, it was it was huge. It was probably the shot that I had the like most insane person reaction to as well because I was watching this game in my living room. I wasn't like on press row like it was for the shot mm-hmm. uh, that bounced around and I had to like be a little bit more chill about it all. Yeah. Uh, although that was really hard hard to like maintain <laughs> any semblance of like press row objectivity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but with the with the game four shot, like I was just like jumping and screaming around my living room like a crazy person because it just felt so new. Like the Raptors don't hit that shot, man. Like that's the yeah. shot that LeBron hits on the Raptors, <laughs> and uh, Kawhi turned that narrative as he did for pretty much every narrative about the Raptors in the playoffs all spring long. Yeah, it was. It's so I just it's so interesting that it's 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 not completely forgotten because you know people are talking about it and diehards will remember it and all that stuff but uh it really is it was such a difficult shot I mean the bounce shot is more difficult but like you didn't see a lot of Kawhi step backs either like it was something he was really kind of digging into his into his bag a little bit to do that one and, and he needed to because Embiid was on him and has an incredible length um but yeah it it's it just yeah, it was just incredible, man. I mean, it was. I think that was the first moment where, in a season full of the Toronto Raptors, have Kawhi Leonard. Or Kawhi Leonard is a Toronto Raptor. That was kind of, I think, the first moment really in the playoffs where it was like, wow, Kawhi Leonard is on the Toronto Raptors. I mean, jeez, <laughs> you know, that's a that's a top five player kind of shot. Yeah. So what a game that game was is kind of crazy and um, a little bit forgotten, but that that whole series was. Uh, so intense and ended up obviously in the game seven with the bounce shot. Um, okay, so we're going to do the same thing with the Bucks here. Okay. Um, I, this one's going to be like slightly tougher though because there's three options. <laughs> because they're also, they're also interesting. Okay, so game one, which is the Lowry goes nuts, uh, nuts game with Splash Mountain arriving and the Raptors look completely exhausted. Game three, which I call the survival game, which is kind of like the tipping point, if you want to call it that, in the Raptors playoffs. And and then game six, which was the Toronto Raptors are going to the NBA Finals. I mean, let's go game three. That game's insane. It's yeah. very dumb that they won that game. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading it. I was reading your words again and going, I can't remember how they actually won. Um, no. It felt like dumb. they should have lost. <laughs> There was no reason for them to win the game. Their offense was trash for the entire fourth quarter and overtime and other overtime. It was I, I don't understand how it happened. 
Yeah, I mean, so obviously Game 3 is the tipping point in this series as well as maybe the playoffs. Um, the Raptors would go on to win four straight, which obviously nobody had done against the Bucks. Nobody even won three straight against the Bucks all season long. And uh, holy crap, I mean, that game couldn't have been tighter. <laughs> um, when Lowry fouled out, so this is the moment for me, I think. Lowry fouls out with uh, 6-12 to play in the fourth quarter. And just kind of like this Yaka moment we were talking about before in the Sixers series where everyone kind of had the reaction of, uh, this might be it. Like, if we don't have Siakam, um, we're not going to get out of this game and maybe we're not going to get out of this series. And here, the Raptors in an 0-2 hole, Lowry fouls out, who's, you know, the buoy of keeping the offense alive most of the time. Uh, and you're going into overtime with Fred Van Vliet, who, to this point in the playoffs, hasn't been very uh, impressive, um, especially with, you know, running plays and stuff like that. And he comes in. You know, just that, that general dread came back of, uh, this might be it. You know, if they lose this game and they're in the 0-3 hole, I mean, they're not going to win the series. So this this might be the end. Yeah, it, like, it wasn't even just that he fouled out and, like, it felt like the next 16 minutes were going to be rough. It was sort of amplified. I guess we didn't know there were going to be 16 minutes when it happened. But um, it was amplified by the fact, too, that, like, the only time they had looked competent in the previous, like, 38 minutes or whatever of the game were when he was on the floor. Like, even, like, he had foul trouble going into the fourth. He picked up the foul, uh, or he, he came back in with, like, seven minutes left, immediately sets up a three for Norm, and then he fouls out, and it's just like, well, how are they supposed to create any offense? Fred has been missing for like a month now. Danny Green hasn't yeah. had a shot since the Philly series, it seems, like the beginning of the Philly series. And, you know, Norm fouled out late in that game too, which was another sort of sneaky big one because he, I mean, the Bucks killer Norm, like it, yeah. the only team against which he is amazing, <laughs> uh, like he, him fouling out necessitated Green coming back in. So you're out there. We have Green and Fred Van Vliet in the game, and it's just like, does anyone have any confidence in any of these guys? And like, their shooting lines are really bad on the night. I think Green was one of eight, and Fred was one of eleven. But both of those ones came in the last couple minutes of regulation, and they were enormous. And mm -hmm. like, they pretty much just won it with defense, and it was like a different kind of defense too, because Marcus Saul who is sort of the unsung hero of the game, playing the last 16 minutes plus on five fouls without picking up his sixth. Like, yeah. him dancing that sort of line, and they, they did it by having Fred and Danny sort of, like, be the rim protectors at times. And a couple times it didn't work out. There was the Chris Middleton bucket, I think, mm -hmm. uh, at the end of regulation of the first overtime. I can't remember. It all blurs together because yeah. it was so stupid. <laughs> um, where, like, Fred was the rim protector, and, like, it seemed like he had him, and then there was, like, an offensive board out of it. And, like, but those guys helped out so much to keep Gasol free of that sixth foul. And having Gasol out there was so necessary, obviously, because of all the Gasol-like things he does. And, like, they just won it with defense. They won it because Giannis fouled out in the in the second overtime. And, like, I feel like if he didn't foul out, the Bucks probably win that game. I mean, there's so many different things that pointed towards the Raptors definitely losing that game. And then when they won it, it was like, that was almost some team of destiny shit. And if you're going to talk me into some weird sort of higher power in basketball, this was probably the game to do it to me afterwards. Because mm. <laughs> yeah. it just... None of it made any sense. All of the guys who were best for that team fouled out or were not useful or like Surge was a no, like nothing in that game. And somehow they just like 
managed to do it. And I guess it speaks poorly upon like Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton that they could not muster anything against the Raptors offense that had absolutely nothing going. And it's two most useful offensive players, not in Kawhi or Pascal, not in. Um, but man, it was just game was a trip. <laughs> like, yeah, I haven't brought myself to watch that game back just yet, just because I feel like it's going to like take years off my life, even though I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. I haven't rewatched that one either. I've only reread about it, and uh, that was kind of enough for me. That game is exhausting. I'll prob- so tiring, dude. Uh, it's pro- crazy. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I'll probably rewatch it again at some point. But, like, and I mean, so Kawhi eventually ends things, and he has eight points in the second overtime. And um, that was the game where he played a career high 52 minutes. And yeah. I think it was also the game where if anyone had any concerns about Kawhi and his commitment to the Raptors as a franchise and doing what he set out to come to do um, when he was on the team and just saying, you know, well, I'm here. I might as well try and win a title. And he, and he um, opened himself up and gave everything a chance. I think this was the game where if you still had any lingering concerns at this point, that that was dispelled because I mean, he looked so exhausted and he was a little gimpy too. And uh, he was giving everything, man. Like that's the game where it was like, wow, Kawhi, he just, he's going to win. Like he just is willing himself to not fall into an O three hole here. And, uh, yeah, it was, I, I, that's kind of, you know, other than the Lowry moment, that's the second thing that sticks out to me was, wow, 52 minutes for Kawhi off of this guy who's been doing load management. Um, yeah. And he's, he's just given it all for the Toronto Raptors. That's quite a sight. Yeah. I remember I did. I lied. I did watch part of this game back. I watched like the first three quarters and then I got tired. So I stopped <laughs> watching it. Um, but like, I'm pretty sure like the second minute of that game, Kawhi rolls his ankle and then right, right. like he's hobbled from then on in the postseason. Yeah. And like, that was also the game I think where he dunked on Giannis and had like, like the dunk where he looked like he almost like crapped himself when he did it because <laughs> he was like hobbled afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, like, that was, for me, one of the reasons that I just, like, I never could have been upset about Kawhi leaving because, like, if the dude wants to go home, the dude wants to go home. And, like, he very easily could have mailed it in a little bit, down 2-0, feeling a little gimpy after, you know, uh, really giving it his all for an entire series and winning a series on his own, essentially, against the Sixers. Like, I, he could have been forgiven for being like, all right, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm a free agent this summer. I want to go somewhere else. And I really, really have to maintain my body here because it's mm-hmm. very important for my future. Yeah. And instead, he was just like, no, I'm just going to I'm gonna play 52 minutes in this game. I'm going to continue to play on a little hobbled, even if it's going to come at the expense a little bit of my efficiency here and there. Um, like, I'm still going to have those moments. I'm still going to drain a shot over Brooke Lopez in game five. And I'm still going to have that, like, insane run – at the end of the third quarter in game six that completely turned the game. And obviously, you know, the dunk, I'm looking at a print of the dunk right now Mm -hmm. uh, that's on my wall that he threw down (laughs) in game game six. Like, it's just, he very easily could have just said, nah, I've done what I can, but I can't do this anymore. But he didn't. And for me, that is sort of the reason I'll never, ever have ill will to, to him for leaving after just one season, even though it was a championship season. No, I mean nobody should. I don't. I don't think. But uh, it really was a storybook season, and that kind of just amplified it. Um, his his performance in that game, and I, I really would point that game to anyone who um, was like, "Well, what was what was Kawhi like in that season for Toronto?" And I think that really was the epitome of um, him just laying everything on the line 
for the franchise on the on the road to a title and totally. you just knew that this guy who's a machine is is uh gonna give every single part that he's got to to get where he wants to go now i want to move to the more of the writing aspect uh which is kind of the other part of this podcast about the process of a book which is cool because as many episodes of, as I've had of this podcast, I have yet to talk to anybody about actually writing a book and the process of, of doing so and uh, the, the tolls and hardships that it can take, uh, especially a sports book. And, um, you know, like, so as any place, uh, there's a, you know, writing a book is just difficult. Like, that's a, as good a place to start as any. <laughs> it's really hard. And I know doing like you've kind of alluded to here throughout the podcast like you were writing it as the playoffs were still going on which is also can present its own challenges and isn't necessarily um as simple as you know sitting down and doing blog posts or something which you also do for raptors hq and stuff Mm -hmm. so what was the process in general like for you writing the actual book like what like was it extremely time consuming? Um, was it, do you find it more or less enjoyable than like your process for blogging? Um, how did it go? So it wasn't really like, there wasn't enough turnaround time for it to really be allowed to be time consuming. It had to be pretty quick. Um, because we didn't find out that we were doing it until like the day before the final started because triumph books, our publisher, they do a book every year for the finals winner, and they don't really commission it until there are only two teams because they're not going to have 16 books sitting out there, obviously. Mm-hmm. They're going to you know, just do it with two, and then one, one will have a kill fee, and the other one will publish. And so, yeah, we found out. I think we signed our contract to write it actually the day of game one of the finals, and I think that was on a Thursday. We had to have about 85 90% of the book ready to go on Monday because they needed to start start laying it out and they if there was the in the event of like a short series they needed to have everything laid out in advance and it was uh it was pretty quick turnaround so Hmm. I sat down the day of game one and I think I wrote most of the Sixers series uh and maybe a little and like a bit of the Bucks series a bit of the season-long feature actually I didn't quite write the entire Sixers series I did the season-long thing about five games of the Sixers series and then um like it was a tough weekend because like you know it's the finals you're busy there are lots yeah. of things going on and it also happened that uh the sound of music which happens to be my fiance's favorite musical was in toronto for the first time in like six years and it was only there <laughs> for like, three days so i had bought tickets to go on like june 1st and so we went to toronto for a night had like an airbnb and everything and so that was just like a thing i was not taking out of my schedule in order to do the book so i just like worked around it i wrote uh like game six and seven of that series in the airbnb and then i kind of just hunkered down and hammered out the entire buck series all day on the sunday before it was due on the monday and then we were able to sort of take some time obviously with a couple of the features that alex did and then a lot of the stuff was you know all the finals games we just kind of did as they happened right so yeah it was it was a really quick turnaround man like it was just like I felt like I was growing crazy at times, but also it was kind of fun to relive everything because when you're covering the, the playoffs, I mean, you remember everything, but it's also kind of a blur. And yeah. it was really fun to go back and like watch all the condensed games for everything that was going on so I could like jog my memory of like, oh, yeah, that thing happened there. That guy happened there. You know, Kawhi dumped on those two guys there. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to go back and remember it that way. That was a cool way to sort of relive things before the finals started. Um but yeah, man, it was it was fast. It was just like, <laughs> all right, sit down, write a recap an hour, and uh, hope you sleep a little bit. But there was not much sleep to be had. 
<laughs> uh, I can't imagine there was. You, you, so you mentioned Alex. Um, what was it like having a co-author? Because that is something I cannot relate to. And it's, it's so interesting because writing is typically a very um, lonesome, uh, isolated activity. Um, people typically write on their own. And for a lot of people, it's really hard to have a co-author or a co-writer. Um, sometimes it just doesn't go well because of whatever your voice is, your style of working is, whatever it is. So um, what was it like for you to get to, to work with Alex on this? I mean, it was amazing. Alex was the person who was originally approached, but obviously he's very busy with uh, being amazing at his job and had a lot of things <laughs> on the go. So he wouldn't have been able to do it without a co-author. And I was lucky enough. Really, I think one of the big reasons that I ended up getting to do it really is because I didn't get credentialed for the finals. We only had one for Rappers HQ. Daniel Reynolds got that, mm-hmm. of course, he's been there a long time. Um, but you know, I think because I wasn't credentialed, I was kind of just hanging out at home a little bit without much to do. And, you know, Alex and I, you know, we're, we're, we're buddies. We, we go back, we, we hang out sometimes and we've, you know, we, we, he used to be sort of the, the, the managing editor of our of HQ. So we go back yeah. a little bit. Um, I didn't really expect to be picked for something like this by Alex, but it worked out very nicely. And I think the way the book was split up between us, it sort of like went towards our strengths a little bit. Like, for Raptors HQ, I can recap a game in 20 minutes. Like, this is kind of what you do. Um, and I wanted to try to, you know, insert my sort of despair-ridden voice. And, like, <laughs> I wanted to try to sort of insert the feelings of the fan base during that playoff run a little bit into the recaps of the games because they were so emotionally taxing and the roller coaster of it all was mm-hmm. just so up and down. And, like, I felt like I was pretty good at that. Where Alex, I mean, his reporting is amazing. His feature writing is incredible. He's, like, a, like I am not a reporter. I don't claim to be one. <laughs> Alex very much is, and he's extremely good at it. And so he made a lot of sense as the guy to do all the, the features on people. And mm-hmm. I think he did a fantastic job. And so it just kind of worked out with our strengths, right? Like, I'm pretty quick at just sort of, like, summing up what happened in a game and sort of doing it in a sort of colorful way, I think, and having fun with it, whereas it just – it made sense the way we split it up. So there was never like, we weren't like stepping on each other's toes or anything like that. We kind of knew exactly what our lane for the book was. And it was really fun just like getting to work with Alex to go back and forth and sort of like share our excitement whenever they want a game. And be like, is this going to publish? Oh no, we should probably uh, maybe work on this a little bit harder. And maybe this is actually going to publish now. Like what's going to go on? What's, what's happening here? Um, it was, it was just quite cool. It was cool to go through that experience with Alex who, um, is just so unbelievably talented. It makes me look like scum next to him, but he does that to pretty much everybody else because he's that good. He really is fantastic. Um, quick shout out. If people haven't read his Matt Thomas feature, go read that. It's awesome. Um, so you mentioned like he was doing like more of the feature stuff in this and, and you're doing a lot more of the, the recaps and things like that. Like, did you guys decide on what parts you were going to write? Like, was that up to you guys or did the, the publishing company kind of say like, this is sort of what we want or how did that work out? No, it was pretty much up to us. We just had a spreadsheet essentially where we filled in what we were going to do and sort of when we were going to do it. And so, yeah, it, it was pretty easy to decide between us. It, it, it made more sense for him to do the profiles considering that's sort of his wheelhouse, right? So right. I was never going to be like, actually, no, I want to take the Nick Nurse profile. <laughs> <laughs> I knew exactly uh, where my bread gets buttered and uh, you know, Alex butters all the bread with his very good feature writing. So, um, no, that wasn't too hard to figure out. Uh, so you mentioned too, um, 
like you kind of were trying to give like a, a voice a, a bit of to the fans and sort of what was going on at the time and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, did you have to be conscious uh, conscious of your of your writing voice and your particular style? Because um, one of the things I remember when I had you on my podcast the first time, which was a little while ago now, um, yeah. one, one of the things we talked about with your writing is it tends to be more whimsical and lighthearted. Um, I think you're one of the most fun writers to read on, especially with Raptors Twitter. Like, um, there's more jokes and stuff. There's like a natural, um, there's a natural tendency to make jokes and and that they're actually funny things that work. Um, and just the way you use language, um, like someone like myself who like every one in 10 jokes, I can get a good one off, but the rest are just (laughs) trash. So, uh, I just, you know, I ended up, that's not really my style of writing voice. But for you, it is, and there's a little, a little less of that here because you're you're writing kind of a book that's um, a little more straightforward, and like I can still tell that it's your voice, and I've read you a lot. But did you, did you find you had to be a little more conscious of oh, here I'm I'm writing this this type of book, and um, maybe I have to be just a little more uh, I guess straightforward is the word that I'm thinking of. Yeah, sorta. Uh, I feel like. You know, typically when I when I'm writing something, if I write it the first time, usually it's mostly kind of straightforward and like not much editing and not much in the way of like my own voice being inserted. And I'll sort of go back over and edit it and like throw in jokes and stuff here and there. And usually toilet humor. Um, <laughs> and like just because of the nature of writing it so quickly, there wasn't that much time to really revise things. So I was kind of just writing about like how I felt as a fan watching the games mostly and then sort of just trying to document exactly how, you know, the numbers that mattered and stuff like that. And there just wasn't really time for me to go back over and insert just sort of like a little more me elements, I guess. But mm-hmm. I'm glad it didn't really because, I mean, I, I, I get a couple toilet jokes in there, but like <laughs> it's probably better that there's not a ton in there. And, you know, I, I think it's sort of – I would rather it be a little more timely and sort of hold up against the test of time a little bit because mm. I feel like this is going to be a book that people do pick up in 20 years and say, Hey, what was going on? And if they just pick it up and me and I'm writing about how Joel Embiid was pooping his pants the entire series. <laughs> like, I feel like maybe that's not the, uh, the thing I want people to read. So yeah, yeah it, I think because of how like express the process was, there wasn't that much time for me to go back over and sort of, you know, maybe change things up to a little less straightforward style, but mm. Yeah, like I said, I think it ultimately worked out for the best. It it's funny that you know we've talked about how like you were essentially writing this as the games are going on and all that stuff, and it really does feel one of the things I noted when reading was that it feels in the moment. Um, and mm-hmm. like, and you mentioned that like you know a lot of that stuff comes from editing when you're going back and going over things. Um, so it, I I do find that uh, every summarization is sort of like it feels like it just happened again, which is great because you know, you're reading essentially a summarization about games and you want to know what, what, what was the most important stuff that happened here and, and what was the vibe like. And, uh, I think, I think that got across really well. So I, I think it worked out really well. Um, yeah, the most, the most important thing for me was to try to capture exactly how people were feeling going into and coming out of each game, because right. like that roller coaster, you had no goddamn clue how that was going to end up right like you go into game four against the sixers and it's despair and you come out and it's like oh hey the best shot ever just happened and hey maybe things are okay um and it just sort of it was so back and forth in terms of the spectrum of emotions that i i thought 
that was the most important thing to get in there because that was the thing I felt most. The, the entire postseason run, I was just a nervous wreck because I had no idea how I was going to feel at the beginning and end of every day. And that was part of the fun of it, right? Like it was so unpredictable. It was so back and forth. It was so just like nerve-wracking. Um, and to me, that was sort of the defining feature of the playoff run for the team. Did you have a particular game that was your favorite to write about or like a favorite moment um, from a game that you were like, oh man, this is going to be awesome and I get to write this and there's a chance that it gets immortalized in, in a book if the Raptors win the title? I mean, the easy one is probably Game 7 against the Sixers because mm-hmm. like I was able to sort of call back to the Vince Carter shot and I felt like I did an okay job of like setting that up and sort of comparing it to how it actually finished with Kawhi right. and... Like, that was just a cool-ass shot, man. Like, yeah. What else can you say about it? And to get to write about that in a book that people will pick up to remember what happened in that game is uh, is pretty cool, I got to say. And so maybe that's, like, the easy chalk answer, but that was really sort of it. Also, I mean, game six against the, the Bucks because at the time it felt like the championship, right? Like, that yeah. felt like... You know, the Warriors loomed and you're going to lose to the Warriors probably anyway. So like winning the East was kind of what the season was about really. Mm-hmm. And the way it happened with the the, the, the the final, you know, 16 minutes of that game being so centered around Kawhi. And then, you know, there was lots of other sort of stuff that happened around that game too. Like my fam- my parents came down from their home in Oshawa and I wrote about this for Raptors HQ and it's sort of a longer thing, but my parents who like typically don't really like to, you know, see people or go outside or go to bars or anything, they like made their way an hour train ride downtown to find a bar to watch the game in and they ended up watching the end of the game in the square and like hung around with people in the square and were partying and dancing around and it was just like so out of character for them. And because of that, like that sort of painted that game in a different light too. And yeah, it was just a really special game and, and to be able to sort of document what took place there and you know relive it it was pretty quick after it happened right it was only a couple days after game six when i think i wrote that 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 part of the book but it was still uh really really cool to sort of go back over and and relive that whole night because that was you know until they won the title that was the peak of raptors history right there and obviously they won the title and things changed but um at the time it did not seem like the title was really in the cards so it was just so celebratory and it was the first time ever that you really felt that uh, like with with raptors fans because man there there's been a lot of heartbreak a lot of crappy things to happen like i guess the closest comparison was like beating the heat in game seven in Hmm. the second round a couple years back but yeah the pale in comparison to what happened when they beat when they beat the bucks in game six yeah for sure absolutely and it's funny, like you mentioned, um, obviously the Kawhi shot and stuff, but one of my favorite things like that I'd, I'd written down and noted about um, that section of the book was your description of the bounces. Um, I love that. That was pretty great. Yeah, I mean, there's I don't been... remember what I did for that. Let me pull it up. <laughs> yeah, there, there's been like, like I was waiting to see it because uh, I what I know from your writing was that once you got to the part where Kawhi was going to make the shot, that there was going to be an ample description of the bounces. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be like, but I knew that it was going to be there and that it was probably going to be amazing, and it was. As it should be for the only, you know, Game 7 walk-off shot in NBA history. Um, <laughs> it, there was way more substance to the description than, you know, if, if there had just been a swish. So it, it just makes it that much more uh, um, interesting. And it felt like when I read that that, like, <laughs> that you'd enjoyed writing that part. So that was kind of neat. 
It's so dumb that that shot went in, dude. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It still does not make any sense, but... Yeah. yeah. It, I appreciate the kind words. That, I mean, I'm glad I didn't screw that part up because that part is important. So I, I'm glad I didn't uh, completely bungle it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely one of the one of the things that sticks in my mind from just reading uh, reading the book was, was, was that moment. I'm curious to, so, okay, so you're, you're writing this and all the games are going on. Did you, how much time did you spend rewatching games? Like, did you spend no time doing that? Like, is this all from your immediate reaction? Uh, it was, I mean, it was a lot of from my notes that I had written during games. And then I watched, I watched the condensed games for every game I wrote about. Okay. Like, I didn't have time to watch the whole two hour broadcast, but like the 15 minute condensed game was fine. Yeah. I kind of gave Nicole's notes and sort of jogged my memory, the things that were important. And then, yeah, I went back to my own recaps I had written and just sort of like used those as reference a little bit. Um, went back to my notes. Uh, sometimes I'm better at taking notes than I am at other times. Like there are certain games sometimes where it's so stressful. I just forget that I take notes. <laughs> so. It's like, oh, I wrote nothing for Game 7 against the Sixers because I'm an idiot and I have to go back and rewatch some of this. But um, no, yeah, that, that's, that was typically it. I, I wish I could have watched every game and I'm still working my way back through and going to watch all of the games. But at some point, um, I've just pick and choose from you know the ones that are the most special as of right now. But um, yeah, it, it was there was just no time. Like, I could have easily done it just to like – have it be fun and enjoyable to watch those games back again, but there's just that I never would have finished what we needed to finish in that short amount of time if I did. Yeah, uh, that 100% makes sense. I, I was wondering, that was one of the questions I had because I had no idea how you would have had that much time to spend rewatching <laughs> games. Um, uh, because, you know, for people like me who like feel like uh, I didn't get all of whatever I was watching, I like sit there and try to watch every play again to make sure that I'm not going to be wrong about something. And somebody who has watched all these things is calling me out about it. So it's one of the, you know, paranoia things, I guess, of being a writer. Yeah. There, if there, I think there were certain like sequences where I went back and watched them just to make sure I got it right. Like, I'm pretty sure I did that for like the, um, whatever, like a bunch of the stuff in game three with all, with all the weird things that took place and like making sure I got the ordering of things correct because I forgot what happened uh, in what overtime essentially because it was all such a stressful blur but yeah it, like when you have that short of turnaround I think there's like a little bit of expectation that like and look man there's like a couple typos in the book that I'm really really mad about that I just think were part of the quick turnaround that yeah. I you know they kind of get missed but um, overall I think the the product ended up being pretty good and I don't think I got anything terribly wrong which is uh, except there's one part and I will say this now because it bothers me to no end that I did this. Um, and I, I don't know if I blame the editors for not catching it just because it kind of went by in passing. But in the story about the regular season, I accidentally say the Raptors starting five included Ibaka and not Siakam, which was obviously wrong. And I wanted to – as soon as I saw that when I read the book, when I got it, I wanted to uh, burn all of the copies in existence <laughs> because I was so mad that that was in there. There's a couple other little ones, but that was the biggest one and I was just so, so mad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a a common thing uh, that happens. Obviously, there's some typos and stuff and, and tends to be sometimes like, you know, layout issues and stuff as well when books are being published. But especially with something with this quick a turnaround, it's not really that surprising. Oh, yeah. I, I expected that, right? Like, yeah. it was so fast to turn. I mean, I was like on like an hour's sleep <laughs> a lot of the times writing these things too just because there was so little time. But, right. Yeah. Um, so a, a, a deep, heartfelt apology to anyone who's offended by any of the typos. I appreciate you putting up with them and still buying the book. <laughs> I've uh, I pulled up the description of the bounce here or the bounce shot. 
And I'm, okay. I'm going to read it on the podcast because that's how much I enjoy it. Um, okay. okay, so I'm going to start uh, about midway through this paragraph here. So it goes, the ball bounced once, high, straight up. The come down took a lifetime. It bounced again with a lower amplitude and to the left. A third bounce, this time on the other side of the rim, any further towards the back lip and it probably goes the way of Vince's miss in 2001. And then a fourth bounce. This time the ball was resigned to its ultimate destination, the bottom of the bucket. Bedlam. That's awesome. Thanks, man. That's probably my favorite description in the book, to be honest with you. Um, that's my favorite description I've read of the bounce shot, and I'm glad it's immortalized in a text for people to read. If you haven't read the book yet, and you enjoyed that section, I would highly suggest you get it, um, just to read more stuff like that. <laughs> so, okay, so kind of one last thing here I want to get into. Yeah. Uh, you're, so you're obviously a blogger as well, and I always find this stuff interesting when people sort of make crossover moves from the blogging world to uh, different industries, and this one here is literally the, the literary world, the, the book publishing industry, and, and uh, having an actual book out on shelves in bookstores, which is really awesome. Uh, and there's a lot of people kind of making that, it's more common now to make that sort of crossover uh, um, section as somebody who does you know, uh, blogging and then, or, or does radio or whatever like you do. So what, what's, how does this compare to your process for, for blogging? Was it, did you feel like there was sort of like a connection between the two at all? Were there similar things? Was it completely different? Um, was it more stressful, less stressful? How did it, uh, how did it compare? Definitely more stressful. Um, <laughs> but like, Honestly, I didn't really want to change up the way I write all that much. I wanted to try to keep as much of my voice as possible because, like, this is a thing I'm going to read too, right? And I want to sort of ensure that I know it's a thing I wrote, right? I don't want it to just be as though it were some sort of formulaic thing, you know, churned out and it was just like, oh, yeah, that could be written by anybody. Like, I wanted to see my own sort of special touches in there for sure. And it was nice because – you know, the publishers gave us pretty much free reign to write what we wanted. There were only a couple things I put in that got taken out. Most of it was uh, quotes from, like, players where they swore. Uh, <laughs> like, where, you know, Joel Embiid was talking about how he had the shits or how, you know, Nick Nurse uh, or how, like... I, can I swear on this, by the way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh so, like, how, how Kawhi Leonard was like, fuck that, let's get one, let's get both. Yeah. Um, like, I, I had both of those quotes in there and they took those out, which, fine, the kids are going to read it, I get it. Um, but for the most part, they were pretty cool. It's just like, yeah, write the way you write and you know, it, it'll be sort of, you know, I think because it was so quick and because I kind of got into a rhythm writing the, the recaps and everything too, it just sort of, I got into a bit of a groove where you kind of get like a bit of a system down and it wasn't like I was able to deviate too much, but, um, yeah, I, I tried to maintain as much of sort of my style as I possibly could you know, without sort of going and combing over and fine tuning things over and over and over again. Um, I, 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 it wasn't as different as I thought it would be. Let's put it that way. Would you ever do something like this again? Or do you think this is, this was a one-time thing? Hell yeah. If it means they win the title, I'll, I'll do that again. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, <laughs> no. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, as much as it was like a lot of work, it really didn't feel like that much work because it was just like, Oh, uh, writing a thing about the basketball team I like winning lots of games uh, like this is not really that hard um, <laughs> and it was mostly enjoyable and aside from you know Fred Van Vliet winning the finals MVP stress uh, it was it, it really I <laughs> had no complaints about it I know some people write a book and they're like never ever again 
And like, I would like to at some point if I ever sort of become less of a hack and become more of a reporter, <laughs> uh, like actually like report a book about the Raptors at some point or some mm-hmm. other topic. Right. Um, but that's probably somewhere down the line. It's not something I'm like looking to do right away or anything like that, but I'm not against that idea by any means. It's something I've always kind of been interested in. Uh, so yeah, I would definitely write it something, uh, something like this again or something totally different again. It was, uh, it was definitely an experience, sort of the gratification that you get when it comes out and you see it on a shelf, like it makes it all worth it. Cause it was, uh, not something that I expected a before I was asked to do it or B when I was asked to do it because I didn't think it was going to publish cause I thought they were going to lose. So, um, definitely very grateful and happy that it ended up the way it did. And I would certainly go back and do it again. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that future book. I hope another one comes again um, because this one was awesome. So I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, Sean. It's been a while, but uh, anything you want to plug before we go here? Uh, Well, the last time I was on the show, it was to talk about ranking every Raptor, which uh, I did an update for a couple weeks ago. So you can check that out at Raptors HQ. That's pretty fun. Uh, You know, Kawhi's in there now, obviously. Pascal Siakam made a big jump. It's uh. It's interesting if you want to comb through that. Uh, other than that, Locked On Raptors, I do a little play-by-play for the Canadian Elite Basketball League, but that's not back until like May, so don't worry about that just yet. <laughs> and yeah, just on Twitter, at Woodley Sean, I'm, I got some stuff going on. Actually, a couple of things coming up this year that'll be kind of interesting, but I can't really talk about those yet, so stay tuned. Awesome. So go follow Sean on Twitter again. This book is called We the Champs. If you haven't got it yet, I highly recommend it. Uh, It's available most everywhere. Yeah, go pick it up. It's great. Put it on your coffee table. Do whatever you want with it. It's awesome. This podcast is called the Writer's Write Podcast. You can find it on Anchor.fm or the Anchor app if you have it. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're on Spotify now. This is um, everything is on Spotify. This is the first podcast since I've uh, done the since the last one where I've actually announced that this is on Spotify. But all of the episodes <laughs> are on there. I have moved them. So um, even though I'm young, I'm sometimes still really dumb when it comes to uh, technology stuff. So you know, there you go. But it's on Spotify for you people who've been asking me a lot. So you can get it there, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Writers Write Pod. Uh, I always post the episodes there and the links to uh, the articles. In this case, since it's a book, I will just post a link to where you can buy the book, and uh, you can get it there. So until then, you can follow me at Halvolution on Twitter, and you can find my own online work at Raptors Republic. And I want to thank you for listening. Have a great day.